As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sometimes talking with friends feels like role-playing. Sometimes it feels like combat. Join us at the Roundtable and Roll Initiative. This is Curmudgeons and Dragons. Hello, adventurers! Guys, this is another episode of Curmudgeons and Dragons. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jason Portizo. I'm here today with a full grip. We got a full house. Everybody's here. Hell yeah. Yeehaw! Yeah. Never split the party. Greg Genovis is here. For some reason, I don't, I don't introduce you first, and I don't know why. It's because you don't like me as much. That's because he's usually in the doghouse. It's because <laughs> you're in the bottom. He's in the bottom corner of this thing. Like uh, Jim Crocker's here. Hey, how we doing? And Josie Diaz is here. Hello. And you're here too. And I think that's kind of cool. Uh, this is the fourth week of the month, and we knew we on the fourth week of the month we go through Reddit's DM Academy, find posts looking for advice, and uh, give out something resembling advice. We try our best. We try. Advice adjacent. Yes. Yes. Advice-esque. I just have commentary usually. And, and then Josie's also here. <laughs> All right. uh, so yeah, we, we sort by uh, top post for the month and uh, see, what's, uh, see what's interesting out there. So I got a few of these set aside. You guys also sent me a few. Let's, uh, let's dig into these. All right. Let's do it. First one I've got here. <laughs> this is from user Mango Ryan. Two, I'm just reading this and thinking this is this is so ridiculous sounding, but I, I have to see how this plays out. I have decided to walk my players through the plot of The Big Lebowski, 1998, starring Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, and Steve Buscemi. I bet that's going great. Yeah. In a high fantasy setting, I'm going to let my players play out the plot of The Big Lebowski. Whichever one of them figures out is The Big Lebowski gets, I don't know, a bunch of experience points, like a lot. How would you all suggest I make references to this amazing cult classic film without making things too obvious? I would say don't. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, hold on. on. There's one more line. There's one more line. Feel free to tell me this is a terrible idea. I do not care. Okay. So um, all at once now? (laughs) Don't. This is a terrible idea. This is a terrible idea. Bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I am a massive Big Lebowski fan. Uh, I was telling you guys right before we started recording, one of my closest friends, uh, who just got married last month, 
Um, his bachelor party, yes, uh, his bachelor party was Big Lebowski themed. We met at a bowling alley. We all wore pajama pants and robes. We drank white Russians. Um, sorry, Caucasian Garys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, movie's a classic. I Still kills. Yeah. <laughs> we drank Caucasian Garys and uh, had a <laughs> we had a great time. Who wants to Who wants to go first with why this whole situation is bad? I will. I think. Yeah, me, the best GM of the group. I think regardless of what the movie is that you're trying to shoehorn your players into, that already has a complete plot. And quite frankly, if you try to get them to act out this plot for you, you're going to be very disappointed because one of the best parts of D&D is taking the plot your DM has so carefully crafted and then going, I'm going to go for a walk, actually, and take the whole thing off the rails. (laughs) Yeah. Don't sigh at that, me. That seems to be kind of where most of these comments are going. Is like the only way you can make your campaign follow the the whole plot of a movie is to railroad the shit out of them. Even then, and like like the dice will have something different to say about it too. Yeah, the thing that you were saying before, Jason, about like if you want to do this, put together a community theater presentation of the Big Lebowski with your friends. Is uh, yeah, I, I think that's yeah that that that's that's the right you, way to go with this. Yeah, if you really want all your friends to sit around and act out the entire plot of Big Lebowski, I'm not going to stop you. Like just like just put your dice away. Just and do, do it. a Big right. Lebowski a la Rocky Horror. Sure, put yeah. it on and then act it out while it's happening. Oh, Shadowcast, yeah, hell yeah. I will say, like, The Big Lebowski specifically has a lot of plot points you can take and just reflavor a little bit. The hitman coming to uh, collect money from uh, one of your player characters who shares a name with, like, a noble and didn't doesn't know the difference between the two. That noble hiring you to, like, retry like figuring out what the hell is going on. There's a lot of good story beats that you can 100% take and reuse. But if you're just going to like beat for beat, try and get your players to play the campaign of the Big Lebowski, it's not going to go anywhere near. The way you want it. Exactly. No, I like, I like using not even just this movie, but really like any media and, you know, stealing the premise of it and oh, have yeah. that be the, op- the opening to your campaign. Mm. Um, like you said, like, I, I didn't even think of, like, the uh, the mistaken identity part of it. I was just going to say the, uh, my idea that we, uh, we were saying off mic before was to have, like, the crazy king telling you to go, you know, go pick up the MacGuffin. And then you guys have some sort of bowling scene at some point, And it turns out the MacGuffin is just the king's rug. Yeah. And, like, you know, that, and now you get pissed at the king and now you just take the completely off the rails and... Commit some uh, commit some regicide. Now, to be fair, it tied the whole throne room together, man. <laughs> yes, it did yes. tie a throne room together. But if you if you're doing it that way, and we talked about this before about just completely ripping off your favorite video games, your favorite books, and whatever, mm-hmm. and like using them as plot points, and that's totally fine. This idea is not only just another example of that, but it does show that like you don't have to just be pulling from fantasy, like pulling from like a ridiculous comedy mm-hmm. is totally fine too. And a lot Something of that fun. has nothing to do, nothing to do with uh, with D and D whatsoever. Finding some way to to combine your two favorite things, I think that's cool. So, should you be walking your players through the whole plot? That's stupid. Don't even ask me that question. Go ahead and like uh, walk them through a plot loosely based on it. Walk them through a plot that has elements of it, recognizable elements, and and for God's sake, don't be subtle. 
the whole point of this is so that you can all recognize it and laugh and, you know, share in the fact that you are fans of this other thing in addition to being fans of D&D. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't hide the ball on that. If you're going to do it, you know, and you've agreed that your campaign has room for that kind of silliness, just put it right out there in a way that everybody will recognize it. And then, you know, so it's not just your, like, private little joke with yourself. I think it's better that way, too, as opposed to like being like, huh, this feels familiar, but reskinned somehow, as opposed to being like, okay, well, I've watched The Big Lebowski like 130 times, so I know what's going to happen next. It's like, I I know what that's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, The top comment here is saying, uh, I once thought about making a campaign based off, oh, brother, where art thou, Josie, calm down. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's Josie's favorite movie. It's a great um, movie. It is. I so actually, it's a great movie. I, love it. I don't want no palm. I'm a dapper Dan man. <laughs> Josie's like super obsessed with movie. I'm not obsessed. I have a healthy respect for this retelling of the Odyssey. Good. While we're on tangents, just last Thursday, I actually played a hack of Aegon that was called Lord, Why Have You Forsaken Me? And that's what it was. It was basically, oh, brother, where art thou? We were all escaped convicts. In the South, in the Depression, we, you know, we had sirens on the river and we ended up impersonating a, you know, a revival band that went around in in costume as prisoners. So, like, as actual prisoners, we pretended we were them and that was how, like, we got through one of the towns. We got dragooned into the local baseball team, stuff like this. It was awesome. So, you can totally do that. Yeah. I want to continue on this tangent just for a hot second is that there's a barbershop in town that I walk by on my way to work that the whole window display is just Dapper Dan pomade. And every time I walk awesome. by, I'm just like, I don't want no pom. I'm a Dapper Dan <laughs> man. <laughs> every time. Yeah, a healthy Maybe. respect for the movie. Mm. That is that is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> what what I like about them bringing this up and, the, and wh- where they're going with this is that they said that uh, a campaign based off the Odyssey would just make a lot more sense in D&D. But I think the movie Or Brother Where Art Thou highlights how you should handle running a Big Lebowski campaign. Mm-hmm. Where like, a Brother Out There is heavily based on the Odyssey, obviously, but it's not beat for beat and it's not walking you through the Odyssey plot. It is a, uh, it is its own completely different realm, its own different universe with its own characters, its own skin. And loosely, it has, has things pop up all over the place that loosely reference things from this other body of work. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, instead of a uh, instead of a guy with an eye patch, you know, representing a cyclops, you can have just a really weird looking troll have him represent Steve Buscemi. Uh, plot twist: We're going to find this uh, one of their players about two months from now on horror stories, saying how their DM tried <laughs> to go through the plot of the Big Lebowski, even though no one at the table had liked the Big Lebowski, even though <laughs> the uh, the DM had tried to get them to watch it as a group together 15 times <laughs> or my DM kept telling me to shut the fuck up. And then he was like looking at us like, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, and then know, wondering or, why we didn't think it was or, funny. Or the other thing is that thing where like the DM, like, like wants to think they're all subtle and like 15 minutes into the first session, they're like, dude, you're doing the big Lebowski. Aren't you? No, yeah. no, that's not, <laughs> yeah. no. What are you talking about? That's just your opinion, man. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Next one is a little more rules heavy, but this Ooh. is something that uh, that I myself struggle with. Maybe uh, maybe you guys can help me too. Uh, this is posted by user Ferenkdar Zemek, mm. and posted titled, I think I'm doing perception wrong. I have a scout in my party who lovingly refers to himself as the world's worst scout. And after plane shifting recently, nothing has changed. 
which might make him the multiverse's worst scout. So far, <laughs> love this campaign. So, so far, far I love it. this character. Here's my question. If you are a plus eight perception and your passive perception is 18, are you supposed to auto-succeed on DC 15 to 18 perception checks? Last session, for shits and giggles, I threw a pair of gelatinous cubes at the party. After the first one, Scout goes to check the next hall. Scout, I look down the hall. Me, make a perception check. Dice, three. Me, with advantage, since you're aware that there might be a gelatinous cube in the hallway. Dice, two. Scout playing along since he's always... Yeah, uh, Scout playing along because he's always a good sport about it. I shout, nothing to see here. And I go bounding down the hall. Me, and stop. Gross squishing sounds. (laughs) Suddenly, you find yourself floating. So I guess my question is, should passive perception be used in these situations? I mean, what else is the point of passive perception? I've never been super clear on like when you're supposed to just look to your passive perception and when you're supposed to roll perception. It has to do with whether you're looking, you're actively looking for something or, or if something is just happening around you. Passive, you know, implying that you, you're just kind of sitting there, you know, twiddling your thumbs going about your day. And this is just your, your natural awareness mm. of, yeah. of the world around you. Where a perception check is, with, is if you're looking for something, do you find it? Does that about sum it up, guys? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. And then this is something that like, even just literally like last night on my car ride home listening to D&D actual play shows, I started like overthinking how a high passive perception, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that a, a low die roll can make you worse at perceiving things if you're not trying. Does that... Yeah. Um, Does that absolutely. make sense? Yep. That that yeah. makes a ton of sense for sure. Are we just kind of okay with this? And that that's just how, that's just how the game works, and we're just going to move on. I always use passive perception not against like DCs, but against contested checks, like a rogue or an enemy rogue trying to hide during combat in the heat of battle you're able to clock them, like, taking the hide action. However you want to flavor that. But mechanically, you auto-succeed in that role. But, like, in the situation where uh, the OP described, no, he's actively trying to, like, just see if something is, like, hiding or if something's there. So, like, there's a little bit more focus given and with the narrowing of their focus down the hallway, some things can get tunnel visioned out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So mechanically, it is still that the dice can make you worse at perceiving than yeah. if you were just yeah. not paying attention. And, but but you, you can flavor that how you want to. Yeah. yeah. This is also one of those judgment call things where there are a couple times where you can use passive skills like that, like perception, and... Mm-hmm. One of them is when the character is just kind of going about their business and doesn't know that they're making a check and you just want to see what's going on. I mean, there, there's what Greg talked about, you know, kind of if it's, you know, you almost treat it like it's an armor class or something like that in combat where as the yeah, DM stealth, you're rolling versus against perception. it. That's the most common one, yeah. Yeah, but the other the other thing you can use it for is if you're in a situation where, and this is something that I see asked about a lot on on. DM Academy, especially in relation to specifically perception, is like, how do I deal with the fact that by calling for a perception check, I'm telling a character that there's, you know, I'm telling the player that there's something to find there, 
right. fix ask for a perception check every 20 seconds. <laughs> that's that's much more fun. Rolling dice for nothing. That's my favorite part of D and D. Rolling dice. Rolling <laughs> yeah, dice is fun. There we go. All right. Um, uh, it's not for nothing. You, it's for I my amusement. I see no problem here. I want you to come to no the game. <laughs> I want you to come to the game with a sheet of paper that has uh, several hundred D twenty rolls on it, and and I'll just cross them off as we go, so that you can. Well, no, but so joking aside. One of the other things you can use passive perception for is in a situation where you don't want to call for a check be, for whatever reason, because you don't want to break the flow of the game, because of verisimilitude, because of, you know, like you don't want to tell the players there's a thing there. And even if they're good mm-hmm. players, you may just not want to like get in their head and get them worrying about that. So you can absolutely use passive perception for that. So it would be totally reasonable to have had that, you know, the, the first gelatinous cube hits them. And then, like, because you're switching it up, not call for an active check, but just use passive to see if they notice that second one. I mean, you know, and and if it's me in that specific situation, I'm also, like, I'm going to go beyond. I mean, the DM said, okay, roll it with advantage because you knew there was a gelatinous cube already. I probably would just let them know that that second one is there after they got ambushed by the first one i think i'd like like that would be a thing where i would say okay you know to look for this and i would let them see it even if that's kind of hand waving exactly how gelatinous cube is supposed to work as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because, you know, once getting ambushed like that, it's funny. The second time, it just starts to get annoying. And it also lets you create that contrast where the first time, it was scary and shitty because it just ambushed you. But then the second time you get to see everybody be cool because they know it's there and they know how to fight it. And so you can have that contrast between kind of those two encounters with that same monster. That's a, a, which story-wise is more interesting to me than just, you know, ambushing them a second time the same way you did the first time through. In the top comment here, uh, someone's actually quoting the rule book, which, fuck me, I guess that answers a lot of questions. Um, (laughs) I love it when that happens. They say, uh, this is from user uh, Orange Punk. Noticing a hidden monster is one of the canonical examples in the PHB 
of when you might choose to rely on passive perception rather than rolling dice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they actually quote it from here. A passive check is a special kind of ability check that doesn't involve any die rolls. Such a check can represent the average result for a task done repeatedly, such as searching for secret doors over and over again, and can be used when, and in, they bolded it here, and can be used when the DM wants to secretly determine whether the characters succeed at something without rolling dice, such uh-huh. as noticing a hidden monster. Yep. They said, notice the language here is all about whether the DM wants or chooses. And the implication is that the reason you might want to use passive check here is for secrecy and to avoid metagaming, which is what you were saying, Jim, like, you know, using passive instead of making them make a die roll Mm because you don't want to metagame. You are nowhere required to use passive checks, but you may if you choose. Also, consider this passage from from the DMG, according to the big two. Remember that the dice don't run your game. You do. Dice are like rules. They're tools to help keep the action moving. At any time, you can decide that a player's action is automatically successful. Let me go on a little bit, but that that little passage there is saying that you could rule that they can use their passive instead of instead of active mm-hmm. to make that perception check. Uh, now, in this particular case, uh, letting him lean into the world's worst scout, letting him fail that role was yeah, perfect, I mean, and yeah, I think failing like it was better the than right succeeding. Yeah, I think yeah. for the story that that checks. And now I want a bad scout in my party. <laughs> that's easy enough to do. I'm GI. All right, next post. Uh, this is from user uh, Takia Knight. I don't, I'm not even going to bother pronouncing these anymore. Try it harder. No, no, no. Give it, <laughs> no. Give it your best go. No. Okay. So the post is called... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> post is titled, DM Involvement in Character Creation. How much is too much? First time DM here. I've been given the opportunity to DM for my group made up of mostly newbies and our usual DM who has not played as a PC in years. In preparing for our next campaign, Curse of Strahd, I have been trying to get to know each PC, including abilities and backstories, and I've offered small changes of their characters to better fit the setting and their character ideas. One change from a Kalashdar to a Hexblood uh, for their Hag PC. The Warforged is instead of a construct of Fritz von Wierg, who he searches for, etc. The former DM has accused me of being too involved and, quote, sucking the fun out of the game. Shortly after, I tried to prevent him from playing a certain UA spell as written, but I've offered an edited version to keep the party balanced. He also says I'm asking way too many questions about the PCs and that the DM doesn't deserve to know everything about a PC. So I ask, how much DM involvement is too much? I was kind of leaning towards the the DM turned PC for a lot of that until the end there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, you should like, you should be as involved in player creation as that player is comfortable with. Yeah, as your whole table is comfortable with, sure. Well, like like on an individual level, if you're like, hey, if you want some like, I'm not saying like hints about the campaign, but like some tips on how to make your character work better, I would be happy to like look it over and, and give you some notes. Trying to change a spell that is being played as written and then getting mad at the person for getting mad at you. No, 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 no. That's your micromanaging too hard. That's that's a UA spell. That's a beta test thing. So like it's yeah. not it's not fleshed out yet. Mm-hmm. So like it's prob- probably is broken. I yeah. don't know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a just say no spell is what yeah. that is. Right. That you don't even have to like, offer any compromise. Like they should be thrilled that you offered to compromise on it and put it in the game yeah. at all. Uh in that yeah. situation. Yeah. It does sound like the DM turn player is trying to flex his player muscles. And got a little bit salty that he got told no on that specific thing that he might have wanted to do real bad. How do you feel about DM doesn't deserve to know everything about a PC? That's bullshit. That's God. 
I will say being surprised by a piece of character's backstory is nice on occasion if it's done properly. If a player comes up to me and is like, hey, I want to have a secret that I will reveal at some point during this campaign. It's not, I'm actually a secret prince of the kingdom that we're invading. And it's not like super important in terms of your like pre-planned story beats. I'm okay mm-hmm. with not knowing every last day of your character's backstory. Uh, where to I say get, that they don't deserve to know it just feels very like... Oh, no, that's, that's kind of gross. Shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially for a new DM, a first-time DM, with what sounds like a table full of people who uh, are the, this is their first or second campaign. Like, if you just wanted to keep being DM, you should have said that to the the (laughs) DM turn player character. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I mean, that sounds to me like uh, not just someone who isn't used to being told no but someone who is used to being able to have secret agendas, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, like, you'd get a lot less pushback on the idea that, well, the players aren't entitled to know everything that the monsters are thinking, right? Or, well, like, you know, whatever, yeah. the big bad's background, I can keep that for myself. I can keep that close to the chest and stuff. But, yeah, no, that's, I, so, I I also think there's, there's, so, the first thing I think, I would say the first mistake they made here was not having a session where they all sat down and built characters together at the same time having a conversation while they did it. As far as I'm concerned, like more problems, especially for new DMs, come about as a result of everybody went home and they made their characters in their little silos and then like they handed them into the DM and on their own, the DM is trying to like reconcile everybody's different ideas and, you know, and this background and that background and how do they tie together and all of that, that would be much more easily solved if as part of your session zero or your intro or whatever you want to call it, you all sit down and you all just have a session where you make your characters at the same time and you can have all those conversations as the game is going on. I would argue even you don't have to all build them together. Like the people that are more unsure of how they they want to build their character at session zero. I think it's also okay if you come to session zero with a character you've already wrote like standard array, whatever, given it all of its things, and then just check in with the DM and then you can like talk a little bit about your character to maybe give some of your other players yeah. ideas about how they want to build their character. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an overachiever and I like to show up <laughs> already prepared. Yeah. That's totally cool. Like, like as long as you're showing up at the table, like gripping everything a little bit loosely, right. So that you can tweak it and, you know, somebody else can say, Hey, I have this idea for my background. Can I tie it into your idea for your background? And you can get people more invested that way. But I think the other thing, the other thing, the other problem that I have with this is this idea that like you create a character, you come up with its background, and that's the character's background, and you're done. When really what you're doing is you're creating elements of their background. 
And if you're playing the game, in my opinion, like the way that you should, more pieces of your backstory are going to emerge through play as you go. You can show up in a town, you know, like like if you say, whatever, if you do the, my village was attacked by bandits and everybody was massacred, you know, you can meet some of those individual bandits and find out what they're doing and learn more about the backstory as you go. The DM should have all of the building blocks they need to proceed from there. There could be things everybody doesn't know about that character because you're going to find them out through play as you go. It's like, yeah, you, the person that's playing that character, doesn't even know it mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I don't love player secrets. And I try to avoid them and keep them to, you know, to a minimum. And I'm much more inclined if a, if something, somebody has something that they want to be a secret for their character, like they're the secret, you know, it turns out that their dad was, you know, their dad was the king who went on holiday and, you know, uh, you know, and had a weekend fling with, with your character's mom. And so you're actually, you know, like, like whatever you're bastard in line to the throne or something like that. I want that out there so that everybody, so that the players all understand that's a direction that we may go and that mm-hmm. it's a thing this this character has in their background, but it's totally cool that the characters don't know that yet. Yeah, and that that's that can just being able to separate, yeah. separate in character and out of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just because you, the player, know the, the me, the player knows all the other players' backstories, but my character just met these fuckers, doesn't know them from my. I don't know you from Adam. Yeah, and and. The backstory you have in your head and that you wrote down, like until it actively comes into play, means it's, nothing. It's just ideas, exactly. Yeah. It's just notions yeah. about what's going on. And there may be something that emerges in the game. Like, and and I've had absolutely had this happen with characters that I've created in all kinds of games, not just D D, but all sorts of indie games and stuff like this, where like, you know, I'll create a character who's a veteran and I'll have some idea of what his career was like. And I'll have in my head, you know the drill sergeant that taught me how to be a good soldier. And then, you know, the game master will like introduce a character who used to be in the military. And I'll be like, Oh my God, that's so much cooler than the person I had in my head. Can they have been my old <laughs> drill sergeant? Sure. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you work with the the DM to, to do that stuff. That that's when the game really sings. I think we've talked about this in a previous episode where like, you don't have to have your backstory. You shouldn't have your backstory all written for session zero. You should have a framework of an idea of how your character is going to play out and then continue writing their story as it goes Mm -hmm. on. Because I've just built, I've built my first warlock for a campaign that is about to start. And I've literally just written, like her backstory is, is she's a kid in the swamp, whatever. And it's just like, a brief bit about how she accidentally became a warlock. And then the rest is not yet written. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Natasha Benningfield. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm way more likely to tell a player that they've given me too much than that they haven't given me enough. And if they haven't given me enough, it's usually mm-hmm. just one or two sentences that can fill in the gaps that I need. So like, let's go over like what he did right though. So like from, from what I can glean from the story and like some of this wasn't very clear what I'm assuming, just from how it's phrased, is that the players brought their character sheets to what may have been a session zero, or maybe they did a quick zero before one, mm-hmm. something like that. But it looks like there was some zero stuff going yeah. on. 
maybe maybe not enough if the previous DM is getting away with some of these things. But yes, yeah. You know, and as a first time DM with your group's veteran DM, maybe he didn't want to overstep boundaries and you know act like a DM. But that's a whole other thing. That's also like like that'd be like teachers. Yeah, be like teachers fucking watching. They know what they're doing and I don't. So I'm going to yeah. like you will just naturally defer to the person that you think knows better, even if they're trying to dick you over. Right. So if they're coming in with uh, with character sheets already done and he's going over with them to like, you know, change the race and change like what they look like to kind of fit that uh, to fit the um, the setting a little bit more. That's great. I'm I'm cool with that. That's what the that session is zero is for. That is yeah. that is a correct amount. Of DM involvement, so the the actual question here is how much is too much. I think that's the I think that is the correct amount. Yeah, uh, is taking taking their characters that they want to play and making it fit the setting better. Yeah, and and the other thing that uh, like the impression I get is that this is not you're not a Kalashtar, you're this. It sure sounds like the conversation is more like, well, you know, there aren't any Kalashtar in you know Barovia, Strahd, so. Yeah. Uh, so let's come up with something. So, so here's mm-hmm. two, three suggestions of what might work better. You know, what sounds good to you? Like there, there's a way, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. So, yeah. This is like showing up to a campaign based in Theros and being like, I want to be a tabaxi. And Greg coming up to you <laughs> going, there are no tabaxi here. You have to pick one of the races I've told you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. luckily the Leonin were right there, but. Yeah. But I wanted exactly. to be yeah. a kitty cat. You were Not a kitty a cat, just a buffer kitty cat. <laughs> a buff, stupid cat. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a Leona. A Leona. Awesome. That sounds right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, the, the actual advice here is, uh, you know, just ignore that guy. Yeah, double check guy. his his double check his sheet as much as you're double checking everybody else's because mm-hmm. he's trying to pull some UA spells on you. Oh, yeah. And, uh, go out there and this is your first time DMing, go do it bad and then should get better and then keep doing it. Mm-hmm. That's, I that's mean, my advice. You miss Remember, 100% el- of them shots that you don't take. Everybody else in the party is actually on your side and wants to have fun. So run the game for them and, and not for the guy who wants to use those UA spells. All right, next story is from user uh, Charsico. Post is titled, How to Spot Subtle Spell Casting and Prove It. So to keep things brief, my players are going into trial by honorable combat. The villain they're going up against is on the ropes at this point and has little to lose, so he plans to cheat. He's addressed he's a figurehead, not a fighter, and arranged others to fight for him as he sits to the side and watches. However, he's a cheat, and as a sorcerer, he will be using subtle spell to influence the fight in his favor. This is a violation of the rules, obviously, which, if discovered, ends the honorable trial instantly for them as a loss. So the challenge for me is to understand how best to know the players might be able to spot this happening. And if so, how can they prove it? Anyone have any suggestions on tips on how to help me out with it? Blah, 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 blah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What were we saying really earlier about passive perception again? I was going to say, <laughs> think to the first Harry Potter movie, the Quidditch match. Oh, uh, this is- Hermione spots. Like, I know that there was still eye a- contact. You have to maintain eye contact and Snape wasn't blinking. Yeah. <laughs> I know Sorry. it's subtle spell, but there should still be like the only thing subtle spell and Jim or Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, that or subtle Josie. spell or Josie Thank you. <laughs> required uh, like it, the things subtle spell gets around is the verbal and uh, somatic components. So there doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a big hand motion. There doesn't have to be things, but like there still has to be concentration on concentration mm-hmm. spells 
which I'm assuming if they are having champion fight in their stead, it's going to be some sort of heroism, bless, guidance, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. something along those lines. So I would drop hints, like in the middle of combat, uh, you take a quick glance around, you see that the big bad is hyper-focused on whoever he's targeting. He is not reacting like the other people in the crowd are. He is ignoring everything around him except for the person he's targeting with the spells. I think that would be a pretty good indicator as to prove it. That is going to be a little bit more difficult and you might need to get a little wonky with rules as written. I know you could probably Mm -hmm. do something like an identify spell, not to go back to Harry Potter, but like you can (laughs) tell the last spell a wand has cast with another spell. Uh, Yeah. You can... You can have something like that after they like catch it. Yeah. Like a high level detect magic or something. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is this person trying to hide their subtle casting from other players or NPCs? Yes. Other other players. Everybody. everybody. So it's so, everybody. okay. Uh, so like. So, so no, it's, it's an it's an NPC trying to hide their spell from the players. Okay. Yeah. The DM the DM wants to know how the players would notice it. Um, I still I think like passive perception. You would use each player's passive perception. You don't tell them like, oh, you see this, but you start dropping hints that there's something that they should be paying attention to, so that then they roll perception or something to actually see it happen. Because like once something catches your attention, you have a tendency to be like, huh, like that's a little weird. I'm going to focus more of my my attention upon that. And once you're keeping an eye out for something funky going on, you're more likely to see the funky thing going on. And then it's just a matter of proving it, I guess, which yeah. is the stickler sure. here. Uh, another thing you could do is have the, not mechanically, but like flavor the people they're actually fighting just move in slightly unnatural ways. Like their swings are super fast compared to if they've encountered them before, what they were before. Just like Josie said, like something ain't adding up. 
You don't mm-hmm. have to come out and be like, oh yeah, he's being real subtle, like using subtle spellcraft or whatever. Yeah. You can just be like, you start to notice like the rigidity of their body when they they like flinched out of the way but didn't seem to move in a way that suggested they were attempting to dodge. Just like th- say it without saying it. One of the things I'm not sure I understand here is what their intent for asking the question is. Are they looking for a way to make it so that the players don't ever notice it? Or, or, or are that like, like, are they trying to do a thing where it's like, I want to find every way I can to, you know, do what is essentially a cutscene, but I want to find a way to like squeeze it into the rules. Cause uh, like a lot of the questions we get on DM Academy are that are like, yeah. I want to prevent my players from doing this thing, but I don't want to just say they can't do it. I want to find whatever way the rules let me say. You no. can't do it. Like, is that what they're trying so this, to do here? No, or? It's, it's, actually, it's actually the opposite. It's actually, this, okay. is, this is the good way of doing it. Uh, the part that I hand waved of, of being, you know, the blah, 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 Reddit stuff is, yeah. in, is in the edit. This is, wow, thanks for all the, uh, thanks for all the good advice, yada, yada, yada. Um, so many things that I hadn't considered and ways to tip off the casting. He wants the players to notice. Yeah, I was going to sure. say, from what you read and how okay. it was phrased, yeah. it looked like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to do this really cool thing that yeah, my this went pl- from bad DM to great DM really quick. Yeah, I yeah. need yeah. I need to know that my players have an out if they can find it. Right. So they I just want a question, way to do it without being really heavy-handed about it. So one of the other questions that comes in here, and this is actually this actually varies wildly from campaign to campaign, is like, how do you do magical effects? Right. Like if you have the kind of game where like a strength spell of some kind gets cast on you, do you look absolutely the same but you can just lift as much as the hulk or do you like bulk up and your arms glow and Mm -hmm. you know when you touch things your hands are bigger and stuff like this and to some extent i mean the answer to this does depend on you know how subtle is what magic does in your game what ground rules have you established for that as you've been going along because like in my games when i run stuff like as a way for casters to be cool, I let them kind of describe what magic looks like. Mm-hmm. And I, in general, it's real That's obvious when someone is under the influence of some kind of magic effect, you know, and, and if you've already established that, well, then that becomes, that becomes a lot more obvious and a lot easier. But I mean, Greg, wouldn't just a simple like detect magic, anybody that, I mean, like there's, oh, yeah. the, the, there's people that have like detect magic at will or as a bonus action or whatever. And like, it seems like that would be pretty easy to, you know, um, uh, 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 to suss it out. Uh, and, and to me, I think, you know, I, I forget which of you made this point. The more interesting thing is prove it. How do I prove that that's what's going on if you've got a game where those effects of magic are not obvious? Yeah. And and what does proving it mean? Who do we prove it to? Uh, you know, like, is this guy the judge of the contest? Do we have to, like, like, is the fun thing proving it sufficiently that we, like, we get the crowd to turn on him or something like that? Like, what is the, you know, what does proving it mean seems like, like, is the way more interesting question to me here. So I, I have what I think is the the best answer here. This is coming from the comments and we can kind of expand on this. Uh, this is coming from uh, DeWerntz. says, you want the raw or the homebrew answer? Raw, you don't. Mm-hmm. Components are the way to perceive spells being cast. Subtle spell only removes for opponent's somatic. And if they're dumb enough to cast a spell with material components, then you got them. Also, if the spell has a visible effect, like fireball has a streak of flame from your hand, that mm-hmm. would be noticeable. Yeah, Otherwise, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, yeah. 
Right. Otherwise, there is no mechanic for perceiving a spell being cast rules as written. However, homebrew, you know, a basic insight check will be good or a few skill challenges. And this is the one that I want to harp in on. No, you, you can make up your own mechanics for this, but I have this pictured as kind of like uh, kind of like God of War or any kind of like quick time action game. Where like at a certain point things will freeze and you'll have like you know you'll you know you gotta press triangle on left and, and L and whatever. But in this one, be like okay, uh, it'll start off simple with you know make a uh, perception check, mm-hmm. and then it'll get a little deep. Like make Arcana checks, mm, sure, and yeah. each one will give you more information. If you pass, if you pass uh, over a certain amount, if more than X amount of players pass, you'll get more information. Yeah, and you'll zero in. Okay, you you know there's you know there's magic being cast. You now know that it's subtle cast. You now know that it is coming from this direction. You now know it's this spell. And the more of those quick time actions, you, you start zeroing in more and more. And you and you can ham fist some sort of proof in there also. Yeah. So rules as written, there is no way of proving it. So you have to do it as no, your own. He dropped his feather mechanics. that he needs for that spell. And he cannot discreetly yeah. lean to pick it up. Well, but that that's also the thing where, like, if the point is your like you know, whatever, like the warlock and the wizard are making these arcana checks and stuff like that. That's where the bard can say, hey, look, you see, he's cheating. Everybody, that's how afraid of us he is. Like that kind of thing, you know, and have the bard like try to get the crowd whipped up and, you know, have the fighter, you know, the fighter is like holding, you know, the fighter is still like doing the work to hold them back or something like that. I mean, if you're feeling really bold, you can just go right into this arena fight saying, look, the point of this is not to win the fight. The point of this is you are absolutely certain that he is going to cheat. And the only way for yes. you to get through this yes. is to somehow prove that he's cheating and just, you know, just make that, so while, just tell them while right your that, one exactly. PC is just, mm-hmm. while your one PC is just fighting to stay alive yes. and, and just not get killed in the fight, oh, your yeah. other three are proving mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. and they can spend all their turns on this. That yeah. is fantastic. Mm. And then, like, you can, uh, to prove it, you can do something like, you know, once the bard figures the whole thing out, you can, you know, the subtle spell is tied to something that, you know, some item that he has, and you can, like, subtly, without being seen, try to break the item, and now all his spells are not subtle anymore. Yeah, sure. That's how you prove, that's yeah, how that you prove it. that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, so you, you can turn this into a, into a very cool sub-game, mm-hmm. and I love minigames. Yeah. I love minigames. And I know we've talked about adding dimensions to combat a lot previously, this is a very easy way to do a secondary objective other than mm-hmm. survive and kill. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if the battle's still going on, you still have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. You can, and it, you, can and he can, you can, you can prove his subtle casting all day and your guy will still die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the idea of point to be like, see, he's using, <laughs> <laughs> but it could even Sorry, be a Jim. thing where like his champion takes very seriously the fact that he's the champion. And if he finds out that like his boss is cheating Doesn't on know. his behalf, like he'll get angry and you know, like maybe you can win him over. You can have the fighter saying, Oh, well, if this were a fair fight, I'd be kicking your ass. You know. And or better uh, yet, the champions or better yet, the champ the champions have the champions been a wuss this whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, or that too. And it's only sure, the champion yeah. because of cheating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it's a now it's a fair fight and he gets his ass handed to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Oh, that could be great. Yeah. I don't even know what to expect out of this question. This is from user uh, Chemistry Full and a bunch of numbers. Players are trying to sue the big bad evil guy. My players have discovered the identity of the big bad. Uh, he is a wealthy merchant that is a mob boss slash lich on the side. My side gig is a lich. How do you have <laughs> um, that as a side gig? <laughs> side gig. Side gig. Yes. 
I so, have questions, but they're not relevant. I, don't, I, can't, I cannot answer them. The players, with the help of scrying general investigation and gathering witnesses, have plenty of evidence. Now they want to sue the merchant to get him properly convicted and destroy his reputation and career that he was able to build up with his schemes. My question is, how can I play that at the trial? I think it would be boring for everyone involved to play out the full process. I disagree. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking on how I can change this in some sort of a skill challenge, but also let players have a dramatic courtroom scene. Uh, my first thought, even in the middle of reading that, was skill challenges, just yep. like the story we just talked about. But yeah. Litigate um, me, daddy. But, <laughs> but Josie and Greg have other ideas. That could be so fun. Are you was kidding it me? Dungeons and Daddies who did the entire arc of a courtroom? Yeah. Where um, Nick's dad, whoever, whoever. Um, uh, oh Glenn. My God. Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Yeah. Uh, so how they did it was there was like a point system. It wasn't like a persuasion check or whatever. It was like a point system of. That's a good point. Uh, you get you get a dice added to your final total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of the trial, you rolled however many dice they earned against like a, a flat rate. And then whoever had the higher numbers on all of the dice that were earned or lost throughout the campaign or the, uh, the session won the legal battle. That's who the jury uh, sided with. That say, sounds a lot like skill challenges in a mini game. There's yeah. a reason that they televise court cases like Judge Judy and stuff, and it's because they are they can be objectively quite entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, what was Op's qualm with this? Is like, how do I make this fun? How do Just I make how, this? How to make it interesting? How yeah. do you make it interesting? Here's the thing about court: you're not really trying to prove factually to the jury what happened. You are trying to tell them a better story with the pieces that they have been given evidence-wise. And it's whoever tells the better story to the jury is the one that wins. That turns out very funny sometimes. There's whole like TikTok series of just like court transcripts. Now the the mechanics that you just mentioned of like adding adding dice and stuff like that and one big final roll I love that that's a great place to start I'm sure other people have written out courtroom mechanics for oh, yeah, for D and D I'm sure and one of the big things here is not only is he a lich on the side but he's also a mob boss so now we get to introduce lots of unreliable witnesses witness tampering Gangsters, baby. Uh, intimi- intimidation there's all kinds of things that you have to go find out and suss out this could take multiple sessions and i think it would actually be a lot of fun hell you could probably make this a months long campaign by itself of just being in court honestly yeah. i'd be thinking if, about that now and it sounds really great if the defense attorney is a literal phoenix named phoenix right <laughs> then you did you win that's that's it's over i didn't think i was going to like the phoenix right games i'm still playing them i love them oh, they're so much fun for no they're reason they're so good like thirty bucks, you get the whole trilogy on Switch, and I've been uh, I've been going through it. So here's my question about those about those Phoenix Wright games. Like, can you lose cases, or is like the point of it that like you re- like you're supposed to win each case, and then if you lose it, it sets you back to the beginning of that same case, and then you try to win it, or I like believe, can you like so I've, I only I only played the first two. I'm okay. on the third one now. I believe there was one point where doing the story correctly, you do technically lose. Okay. And you have to like use that information to then retry the case or something like that. I forget, I forget exactly how that played out. Because the big but, um, the big question I have here about this is like, what is the GM's intent? Because they don't really tell us that. Like, it, do they want this to be a thing where 
no kidding, there's an equal chance that the that the party might like lose this and the campaign goes in a completely different direction than if they win it? Mm-hmm. Or are they playing to find out how the party takes him down? Because those are two it very different like things. The, I don't think this is a situation where the DM is like, hey, we're doing a courtroom scene. Uh, prepare your asses. From uh, what it sounded like, it sounded like the uh, the players are like, hey, we can ruin this guy's reputation by taking him to court. Yeah, I I, I get that. But does the... Yeah. Like, is the DM looking at that and going, oh, cool, what an awesome way for them to take him down a peg. Let's see how they go about that. Or is it, Honestly, well, this might work and it might not. And so let's come up with a system to, you know, to for whatever version of a coin flip this is to see whether it works or doesn't. That, the idea like, that like, in, that's in, what in, in the campaign. Yeah. In the comments, what we really have here is that uh, someone, you know, uh, to be funny, said, D&D, you could be a wizard, a champion, a furry from the nether. Anything you can set your mind and fantasy to. You can ride dragons, delve into mysterious temples, solve ancient riddles, rescue fair princes, uh, and find lost civilizations. Players, let's go to court. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's what I was thinking. Like, that's so funny. You have all of these options. You're like, we can turn this into law and order. DOP Triumph Dennis said this is literally how it went. The party was at an extreme low point after the last session. Several people actually cried at the table because they were so emotional. The paladin said, what now? The bard says, let's sue him. Extremely unexpected, but I loved it. And I guess this is, uh, it immediately went like, okay, now what? That's like, so good because like, it's like, like, we could fight him with spells. We could fight him with swords. We could do a lot of fighting and stuff. And it's like, we litigate him. fucking sue them. But this is also, this also thing, but I like, Jason, what you said about like unreliable witnesses and witness tampering and all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. But this can buy, get, my boss. but this can kind of be the thing where it's like, you start each session with like, you know, we're presenting this piece of evidence or here's this witness coming up. And then you do the like, you know, yeah, yeah. And you play the adventure of, again, actually. Like that. And and then, you know, you kind of fade out from the courtroom and you play the heist where you got you got that piece of evidence to the courtroom. Or Mm -hmm. you play, you know, rescuing that witness from, you know, the dungeon that the big bad had him chained up in. And depending on how you do during that. That, you know, influences the the effect that that has on the, you know, whatever, the big role at the end. But that's, I like. I like, I like that. Yeah, that's how, but but like Josie's suggestion, like you could turn this into a, a whole like mini campaign. You do multiple games. Yeah. Like that's how I would do that is I would, I would like tell the story of each little thing that showed up in court and the role that the adventurers had in helping put it there. Or and keeping then you it have to really get into. You have to get into the mechanics of a court case when you do that mm-hmm. because it's not just what's happening in the courtroom. Like behind the scenes, the prosecution and the defense are playing through like mock trials of the case mm-hmm. to try to figure out like what they're going to say, how that how it might be countered, how they will then counter that count. Like there's also there's homebrew mechanics out there for public opinion. Yeah. You can have that be a play also. Yeah. You know what I did one time for for my crew that was fun that we did kind of a, just as like a goofy one shot was it was a like very much like an urban fantasy game and there was this thing where like the mayor had been assassinated and they had been framed up 
as having assassinated the mayor and they knew they didn't do it and we knew they didn't do it. But like they were going around town talking to people and all this kind of stuff. And then the newspaper came out, you know, whatever, like the scandal rag, you know, like the local, you know, New York Post version of the New York Post in our city came out and it had a blow by blow description of what had happened. And this was, you know, like completely, they weren't there for it and they were totally framed. But I said, okay, so now what we're going to do is, and they're like, well, what's it say? What's it say? I said, I'm not going to tell you what it says. We're going to play it out. So I played, so we just like took one session where we played them as these like caricatured evil versions of their characters and I let them do the most like outrageous murder hobo bullshit, like because mm-hmm. this was what the story was being told that they had done. Uh, and so, like, we played a session like that that was, you know, basically like 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 somebody else testifying what they had done, even though it wasn't really what what had happened. And they just had a ton of fun, just going crazy and and doing that. And so that's another thing you can do is play like different versions of encounters based on what, how, like how the witnesses spin them. If you really want to get, you know, kind of like story gamey about it, that's a thing you can do too. I feel like we could do a whole episode on just how to do court in D&D. Yeah, sure. Your legal procedural. Yeah. I love a legal procedural. I like to be the criminal. Having you kind of based on like the big die roll at the end, like Greg said, um, having all the evidence that they came up with, having each one give its own bonus or bonus dice or advantage or whatever towards that role. In the criminal justice system, there are two groups, adventurers that gather evidence. And the ones that clack the dice. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) These are their stories. All all I want from from that whole session though, all I want from that whole session is for the paladin, for the paladin to just stand up and say like, listen, God damn it. I said I was lawful good. I'm going to be lawful good. (laughs) Uh, I do think if you're going to run this, uh, zone of truth needs to be off the table. (laughs) I argue that... Oh, no spells in the courtroom. No magic in the courtroom. I think that mm. the judge Anti- can cast Anti-magic zone of fields. truth. Anti-magic fields. Mm-hmm. Oh, boo. Well, because then you have to find creative ways to lie without lying. Just like they do in court. Your, you can't perjure rule. yourself. Your fifth Amendment. It's technically... Yeah. No, technically, you have to put your... You have to... You have to put your hand on that spell book and cast <laughs> zone of truth yourself. Because you have sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And people still get up on that stand and go, I can like really maneuver my way around telling them what they want to hear. Yeah, the, the barbarian with minus three arcana is not casting his own truth on himself. <laughs> I'm just saying, you could have that order in the court. All right, Jim sent this one over. Uh, this is by user uh, Tokiwa4. I don't know. Tok. To- Toki, question is, and this is more offering advice rather than looking for advice, but uh, question is, uh, does X cause harm? Check the book. I've seen a number of posts lately asking if certain things do damage or not. Destroying water on humans to to freeze dry them, using illusion spells to make lava, mage hand to carry a 10-pound stone in the air and drop it on someone. The list goes on. I'm not even going to acknowledge heat metal because nobody can read. (laughs) Ask Ask your players to read the spell descriptions. If they want their spell to do damage... Have them read the damage the spell does out loud. If the spell does no direct damage, the spell does no damage that way. It shouldn't have to be said, but spell descriptions are written intentionally. You're stifling my creativity, I already hear players screaming. Nay, I say, I stifle nothing. 
I'm creating a consistent environment where everyone knows uh, how everything works and won't be surprised when something does or does not work. I'm creating an environment where my players won't argue outcomes because we know what the ruling should be before even asking. They know the framework and can work with the limitations of the framework to come up with creative solutions that don't need arguments because they already know if it will or won't work. Consistency is key. TLDR, tell your players to read their spells because the rulings will be consistent with the spell descriptions. Yeah, not a lot of advice to be given here, but this is advice to be given out. And I, I understand exactly why you brought this up. <laughs> this, I fully this co-sign does, uh, this. Yes, this is yes. this is a thing I always say. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about my own games. You know, I've, I've mentioned my, uh, my Sunday one-shots uh, a few times on the show. And one of the most exciting parts of getting, because I get almost, almost entirely all new players. In fact, the only players who have played before are ones who have played at my table before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have all pre-made characters. And I spent a lot of money on the uh, Hit Point Press uh, animated spell cards. Mm-hmm. I have all of them oh, now. Oh, I got the cantrip ones. They're, Ooh, they're so nice. Yeah. I, have, I have cantrip through nine. I filled up the whole box oh, of them. You... They were not cheap, but God <laughs> damn, are they cool. Yeah. And we go through and I uh, know our can't really call it session zero or, or hour zero or 45 minutes zero. We uh, we will go through all their spells and I will hand them all their cards. It has all the actual game text on the back. I don't know what every spell does. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that I do, I have them read it to me. Yeah. So I read me the read me the whole thing. And they'll read half and I'll be like, cool, read me the other half. <laughs> and then they keep going and then we finally figure it out. <laughs> and by having them read it out loud, not only are they reminding me of what the spell does because I need it, but they're learning themselves. Yeah. And this has come up because like, uh, I think one of them casts like Dancing Lights, which is like such a basic like level one. Every wizard thinks they want this when it doesn't really do anything kind of spell. <laughs> it's yeah, just I've pretty. made that mistake before. It, it is, is pretty. But that's literally what it is. So like I cast uh, Dancing Lights. How much damage did that, does that do? And this literally has come yes, up. Yeah. But okay, read, read me the whole spell. I, the, I, I handed you the rules text. Read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Use it now, to get some, trick damage? somebody to walk off the edge of a cliff. Yeah, then the fall like damage will kill them Absolutely and the spell doesn't have do to. That. I'll yeah. find I'll find a way to make it interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. This ain't it though. Just not in combat. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because the spell itself doesn't do damage doesn't mean that the actions following the spell will not cause damage. But the spell right. itself. And we can go all day about like Mage Hand carrying a stone. I love that one. I mean, I'll say that's DM's you can, discretion. You know, 30 feet. You got 30 feet. If you can drop a rock from 30 feet and hurt somebody with it, good for you. Or rather, 30 feet from where you are. I actually have a character right now is a Owlin Druid. So I talked with my DM, and uh, if I am directly above uh, an enemy and I use Thorn Whip, we, rule, we figured out together that the ruling will cause the vine to launch it 10 feet towards me and then drop. Uh-huh. However, again... I had the discussion with my DM beforehand that your, this is how we're going over, to rule it. Yeah, your pushover DM. Oh yeah, it's it's Luke. So <laughs> you know. let people have fun. Listen, you know, I'm not just for everybody I'm at home. The, I'm not, it is not it. me DMing that game that Greg is in. So. <laughs> Listen, we'll I, get you one day. Thornwood says is it pulls the enemy ten feet towards you, so that is the direct line of towards me. If you're getting yourself in a position to where you are directly above someone and can still attack downward, like this is fucking Donkey Kong. Um, <laughs> oh no, I'm, then a, I'm sure, an Go ahead. I am a flying character. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Take your fucking D6. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so a flying but, will break my campaign. So, but, but, but that 
but that's a thing where that's not you're like you are not using a spell that doesn't do damage to yeah. try and do damage. There's there's sure, Thornwood actually there, is a damaging know, like, spell like, at least. Like yeah. it's a much gray area of like, do you have to be standing on the ground for that ten foot pull to work and stuff? Like that's that may not even be covered at all in the spell, but like mm-hmm. you know. Like Thorn Whip like has an effect and it says what the effect is and it describes how much damage it does and it describes the effect that it has. But like you are not trying to use Thorn Whip to pick someone's pocket. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is like the kind of thing that we're talking about here. You know, and you can kind of reflavor and find interesting narrative uses for some of those spells when you're not in the middle of a fight. But you know, does 2d6 damage is does 2d6 damage is does 2d6 damage. And if it doesn't say that, it it doesn't do damage. And I'm 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 very comfortable with that being a pretty hard line that I'm going to draw most of the yeah. time. Yeah, for sure. If I drop that so rock no, on you from thirty feet up, I can assure you it's going to do some damage. <laughs> so no create water in uh, an enemy's lungs, huh? No create water in an enemy's lungs. No, no, that's not that, that that's not how that not what that spell is for. You can't. You I don't can't, care what it's meant for. Yeah, I don't care you what I'm doing with it. You can't use heat metal to boil the iron in their blood. Like that's just no, no. no it's but not what a about what about do. heating their metal armor? Totally fine. No. Well, yeah, that's the whole point of the spell. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so, so then, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you can't barbecue you can't, them. You can't cook their mouth because you're heating up their fillings. It's, yeah. <laughs> I disagree. If you can get your <laughs> finger on that filling, you can heat it up. Okay. <laughs> that takes a lot of like, okay, now just open your mouth and point to the one that's, where it's got fake that's, tooth. That's clearly a bard casting okay. that spell if they've got their fingers in someone's mouth. So, so. Don't call me out like that, Jim. <laughs> Put my fingers in all sorts of places. <laughs> can I do a history check to see if there's an orthodontist in this town? Yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just want to wrap this up with this story here. This is, uh, again, not so much looking for advice. I mean, they're looking for advice, but this is uh, this is more about the comments here and just like taking this situation and turning it on its head. Uh, so the question started out as, uh, how can I role play a dress fitting scene for maximum comedy? So the- uh, I the just want to say, rescued- based Josie- off the title, <laughs> you fucking don't. <laughs> Josie's, Josie's making a face, which is not great radio, but it is very entertaining for us here. I just, uh, the idea- yeah. Josie's face is perfectly fine radio, okay? <laughs> I I have a no. face for radio. <laughs> when we mentioned this uh, before we chose which topics we were talking about today, I mentioned dress fitting and Josie had opinions. I still have opinions. Jo- Josie's the only <laughs> one of us that's ever had to endure a dress uh, fitting, so she has, it is very reasonable for her to have opinions that we may not have. Josie started having flashbacks yeah. to a bridesmaid dress. It's, it doesn't even have to be a bridesmaid's dress. It's just fitting a dress to your body yeah. is a horrible, it just ends in tears. Here's the thing about women's fashion. Go ahead. Is that the, yeah, we got time. the sizing is arbitrary. Do we have time? Sizing is arbitrary and it's just made, meant to make you feel bad about yourself so you continue to buy their bullshit. Pretty much. And we've come to terms with that and that's the problem. Mm. I speak for yourself. So now we all know that comedy comes from, you know, making an extreme mockery of situations, even bad ones. So something as traumatic as a dress fitting can be, uh, can be made pretty funny, especially in this group. So the, uh, this is from user high stream, the group rescued the Baron's daughter from bandits and were invited to her birthday ball. 
They protested that they didn't have nice clothes, and the Baron's wife got a predatory gleam in her eye and said she would dress them. I've got three girls and a guy in my group. One is excited for all of it. One is a tomboy and doesn't like dresses. One is an introvert and doesn't like big gatherings. And the guy will probably just get a suit and make his own shenanigans. How should we roleplay this? I'm going to uh, assume and kind of hope that they are uh, describing their player characters and not their players. Uh, that was uh, my so we'll first go, question. Yeah, like are, yep. is I hope yeah. I hope okay. this is the, he's describing the characters and like proceed as an introvert if. that doesn't. Yes, yeah, yes, an introvert that doesn't like big gatherings. Hilarious to make them go through a dress fitting as a character. Uh, horrible to force them through a dress fitting if that's the player. But that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully you don't have an audience really for the dress fitting. It should be you and the seamstress. So the top comment here, uh, which got multiple awards from Reddit, and I just thought this was so great that like not really much to discuss on this whole thing because we can we can talk about what makes what makes things funny. But I just love that I just love their suggestion for this. Uh, so they start with the obvious: uh, subversion is always good for comedy. I'll start with I, I start with things appearing just like the tomboy fears: frills, frocks, drinks with bubbles, just absolutely full femme. Then, noting her discomfort, one of the dressmakers seems to be powering up for a makeover to the tomboy's increasing dread and takes her to another section where they keep the adventurer line. Armored corsets, clever hidden pockets, elaborate hairdo setups that hide knives, comfy working clothes that are glamored to look like dresses. Treat it like the big secret. And then at the ball, slowly reveal that all the women are using the secret adventure line and are armed to the fucking teeth. The idea that you could just go out in your comfy fucking sweatpants and have it appear like you were dressed like fucking Rihanna at the <laughs> Grammys or whatever. That is honestly, that's a dream. That is, if I could pull anything yeah. from D&D and put it in real life, it's to glamour my sweatpants into a gala dress. Yep. <laughs> So I just wanted to bring that out because I, th- I thought that comment was great and just taking the whole idea of it and just turning it on its head. So uh, great job. Uh, that was a bad rum underground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, so. the way you make it funny is you bring the players in on the joke. That's yes. yeah. Don't if, laugh if you're, at them. Yeah, laugh with exactly. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, invite them to be part to be to be part of making the joke with you. That's it for DM Academy. We do these every month. If you have uh, a post or if you have even just a, a question yourself, you can go ahead and contact us. Uh, dragons.com slash contact. You can fill out the form there or shoot us an email at curmudgeonsanddragonspod at gmail.com. That's going to wrap it up for today. Yeah, school's out, bitches. Yeah. My big ask for you guys listening to this show, uh, just share the podcast. It's free. It takes you two seconds. Uh, so the next uh, the next gaming session you guys are going to, just let people know that you heard this and maybe you liked it. And leave us some compliments. I like the warm fuzzies. <laughs> leave we me gotta, some insults. Why the, fuck, why the fuck not? No, fuck you. I, want, f- I get the insults enough from the three of y'all. No, I, I said give me com- the insults. No, I went, shut give your fucking you- mouth. I want the compliments. Bring them give in. Josie compliments. Tell me give how- me insults. Tell me how soothing you think my voice is. Oh, hold on. Wait. <clears throat> Tell me how soothing you think my voice is. You could do that the whole time and you chose the other voice. This is just how I talk. <laughs> that one takes effort. <laughs> I can't think and do that voice at the same time. I can't think, period. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can find Josie at Goblin Scratches on Twitter. Jim is Jim Likes Games. Uh, I am at Jason Portizo. Greg is here. That's all I got. One day we'll put them on the internet. (laughs) Peace out, Cub Scout. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to Curmudgeons and Dragons. Please share this with your favorite adventurers. Leave a review on Apple and follow us on social media. All links can be found at curmudgeonsanddragons.com. Practice safe adventuring, my friends. This has been a JTP Audio podcast. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.